the Neil Stevenson Book Club podcast. We're on episode five. We're going to be discussing Snow Crash chapters 21 to 25. My name is James. And my name is Marcus Marks, and I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm having a drink. How are you today? Oh, okay. Leading off. Um, yeah. I am doing well, other than my foot is sore. Uh, follow up. There is no follow up because we still haven't actually posted any of these, but if you'd like to, at some point in the future, like a Mr. <laughs> Show bit or something, uh, send us some follow-up on the podcast so far. Uh, NSBC, like Neil Stevenson Book Club, NSBC at headcanon.org. Send it there. That'll get to us eventually. <laughs> All right. You got to set up the actual Mr. Show bit, which is brilliant, which is the, it's a live call-in show. That's pretty important. It's pre-recorded, so mm-hmm. you're you're actually watching the one from they recorded last week. So they keep taking calls, or they can't talk about it because we're not talking about them. We talked about it last week, <laughs> and then there's a massive recursive bit where they, they keep pulling in more TVs, showing like yeah. this is last week, yeah. And then on yeah. the, on the TV, it's like they pull in another TV, yeah, yeah. Okay. Truly, uh, so oh, before we before we finish the follow up, um, yeah, one more thing we have to do is plug our book. Which like is not like Neil Stevenson-esque at all, really. But uh, it is, so we have two books. We have a book called My Name is Trouble. And a book called Trouble Always Finds Me. Both about girl to Texas named Trouble. They're kind of YA murder mysteries. Go to mynameistrouble.com to learn more about them. You can get them. You can get a paperback. You can get hardback. You can get uh, Kindle. You can get it on Apple Books. So go wild. All the ways. Mm-hmm. You should get it all the ways. Um so what would Jenny Valentine do in the metaverse? I mean, I think Jenny has definitely never read Snow Crash because she's kind of insular, but she would love White Tea. Like she'd, she'd be absolutely in love with White Tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she if she were like, you mean like what like her avatar would be? Just what what, what would be her thing in, I mean, in, she, in the metaverse? Well, I mean, Jenny's obsessed with being a girl detective, so she would, she would try to be a, a girl detective in the metaverse, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so my, my new segment, uh, anything that you could have Neil Stevenson talk about for two minutes? Anything? Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta give me a warning on these things. I don't know. I feel like I gave you a warning uh, last week <laughs> for all mankind. I don't know. That's the first thing on my mind just cause I've been catching up on that show. Okay. Um, he wrote a book called seventies, which we'll eventually cover on this podcast, which is all about space. Uh, I'm curious to, I'd be curious to get his thoughts on For All Mankind, which is a TV show. It's kind of sort of an alternate history where the Russians beat us to the moon and the space race kind of maintains its uh, 60s frenzy like through the decades. It's a great documentary as well. I forgot that the quote actually comes from the guy, you know, landing on the moon mm-hmm. doing this For All Mankind. But yeah, great, great documentary. If anyone's out there, Criterion Collection, Brian Eno score. Uh, my thing would be if he was forced to, which Taylor Swift album would he listen to on a long road trip and why? Hmm. Uh, I, I imagine he could uh, have an interesting answer to such things. It's yeah, Guess what, bitches? It's going to be reputation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just one of those weird fucking gremlins who likes reputation. Yeah. All it's right. It's a great album. Uh, so this episode, lots of YT this time. We get a lot of YT. We get to know her more. And we, we get to complain the, at all. Kind of the more hints of like the the plot thread that's running through everything here. I mean, we've had a fair amount of world building so far, for sure. You know, um, and now we're we're getting some actual plot that's running through stuff. <laughs> a lot of time spent with the mafia. Mm-hmm. This is the one I could absolutely see this as like an episode of an HBO show. I mean, there's no way you could do a movie. It's just too much, no, right? Yeah, like, no, yeah. no, it's way too much. There's too much fucking world. Um, I don't know. Like, you can't do a whole episode of Jason the Iron Pumper, but like, just this, like, why <laughs> I mean, Jason the Iron Pumper is definitely like a like a pre credits like seven yeah. minute sequence type yeah. of deal, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right. So, shall we? Yeah, let's get into meeting Uncle Enzo here in chapter twenty one. Yeah, so we're with YT picking up sometime after the interlude of Jason the Iron Pumper. Uh, YT's been called to Compton. She doesn't want to skate there on her own power, but she can't use her normal trick. That normal trick being where she orders a pizza to the area where she wants to go and then harpoons onto the pizza delivery boy, which of course feels interesting considering how this book started. Yeah. Not yeah. that she was trying to go to that neighborhood, but, but the, the deliverators I'm sure make uh, very enticing targets for 
the courier service here. Yeah. So then suddenly a uh, bullet marked Oldsmobile passes her on the Harbor freeway and she latches on, realizes uh, that this is the franchise franchisee who hired her himself. This is Jason, the iron pumper. Hell of the line. He must be a psycho. He must be in love with her. This is all a twisted psycho love plot. Yeah. This makes her, she says it makes her more scared of him mm-hmm. than anything else than, than going to Compton. So he takes her like directly to the mafia office there where he like guns it like towards the office and then just like flips the car around and like lets her slingshots her in. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the Compton office here, as we sort of met in the previous episode is just like this sort of like urban war zone hellhole or something, which is why she can't, she can't order a pizza to come here because nobody delivers here. It's just like, like nobody comes here. Yeah. Also, is it tacky to to order one of the mafia pizzas to a mafia office? (laughs) Um, well, I, I mean, this is, I, I don't know if you can do this now. Um, I think, I don't know. Can you still pay the pizza guy when they get there? Like, can you still order? I think so. Yeah, I maybe you so. can. I mean, I feel like this is a bigger thing back in like the eighties and nineties where it's like yeah. you play a prank on somebody and order a pizza, at their house or something. Yeah. 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 It was a big thing. You had to have, you had to have your cash tip, you know, ready to hand mm-hmm. the, the person if, if you were generally ordering a pizza. Yeah. Um, we get, we so get a, um, another uh, Fran- Franchulet name or, or, you know, whatever these burp flavor are. There's an all Mormon desert burp clave. Yeah. So Mormons have their burp clave. Um, I, there, we get a lot of uh, information about the mafia here. Um, this one about the girls in particular in the mafia is fascinating. It says the girls are encrusted with pointless femininity. Girls can't even be in the young mafia. They have to be in the girls auxiliary and serve macaroons on silver plates girls is too fine a word for these organisms too high up the evolutionary scale they aren't even chicks so i feel like we got a lot in the last chapters about how like um i don't know quote unquote progressive and you know um forward looking the mafia Mm -hmm. is and like uh, they're oh they're expanding all these different cultures and whatnot they still seem like they're pretty uh severe on like the gender roles and like if you're a woman yeah. in the mafia it doesn't sound like there's really much for you to do there's still like a pseudo catholic mindset i yeah. think um but yeah just to just set up even that stuff the compton nova cecilia franchise is a grisly scene there's a jamboree of young mafia these youths are even duller than the ones from the all mormon desiree Burclave. <laughs> yeah. so also in the expanse the mormons have their own giant spaceship yeah, yeah, and in the show The Expanse, the Mormons have pooled all their money together to build a giant spaceship to go. I can't remember what their destination was. Um, their ship gets stolen, right? Yeah, they, 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 their ship gets commandeered by other people, but they were going somewhere. Um, yeah, this massive fucking yeah. arc that they built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she she skids in and declares herself, YT, young, fast, and female. Where the fuck is Enzo? Well, the way she, like, skids in and kind of, like, perfectly, like, like, uh, you know, does like a, I don't know what you call that. It's like, you just imagine the shoes on ski. She'd be like throwing up like a, a bunch of snow on somebody, you know, yeah. like she kicks up a bunch of dust on these guys, hops off her skateboard at the last second, like kicks it and like goes right up into her armpit and like grabs it perfectly. It's like the very badass, you know, arrival here. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the young mafia males are clearly enamored with her, <laughs> uh, they're going to get mature as opposed to their usual thing, which is snapping each other's underwear and drinking until they are in comas. <laughs> um, so they want to help her, which is annoying because of how they do it. Yeah, they're She's being a, all like kind of like overly polite and condescending. You know, can I assist you in some way? Well, I love this. She's a deeply independent business person and they're trying to do a peer thing. <laughs> yeah, and she, I love it. one of them says, maybe you could learn some manners. So that she says, you should try surfing the Ventura at rush hour. Maybe you could learn your limitations. <laughs> YT, it's like the attitude is like up to 11. I love it. She's so much fun. Well, the this, these chapters alone, and, and you'll definitely notice that when 70 episodes from now, when we get to the Diamond Age, he's really good at writing. I mean, maybe it's not the authentic female experience, but mm-hmm. like he's really good at writing a very precocious and at times wiser than her years young female character. Yeah, well, especially with Enzo here. This is like there's it's a big difference between heroes chapters where like YT is like constantly kind of processing the way people are treating her and like mm. kind of analyzing whether or not this is a put on or it's legitimate and like like she's she's like constantly like hyper analyzing social situations 
and you don't get that in heroes chapters like hero like reads as a different person you know it's not just mm-hmm. like oh they all talk the same or something like that and in a, in a walt whitman binary though she's curious more mm-hmm. so than she's judgmental at times uh yeah her interactions with the yo ma as they're called is, <laughs> is pretty funny um so enzo's inside playing cards with the boys he looks like he does and the picture's just bigger there's one more exchange i want to highlight here with the, the young mafia where um the guy's just like whether he wants to talk to you or not i'm not sure she's like he fucking asked for me and he, the, the young mafia guy says he came across uh, across the country to be with us the guy says and he seems pretty happy with us all the other yomas mumble and nod supportively and why are you standing outside yt asked going inside yeah uh, from the book, we get there's a whole Uncle Enzo portable support system here. A traveling espresso machine has been set up on another desk. Cabinet is next to it. Doors open to reveal a big foil bag of Italian roast water processed decaf and a box of Havana cigars. There's also a gargoyle in one corner patched into a bigger than normal laptop, mumbling to himself. So this is like the this is the brain center, the mobile brain center of Uncle Enzo on the road. Um, so she pulls up the delivery, being all business, and he comes over to her, takes her hand, and her courier glove, which has like a kind of like a I don't know like a there's an opening on the back of her glove uh, yeah. hand it's just big enough for his lips yeah. like like you would think of like like batting gloves, have gloves. That, yeah. yeah they had the opening yeah, and he kisses mm-hmm. kisses her hand in this kind of old-fashioned gesture she says it's not a gross or slobbery kiss but respectful he's got confidence and keeps his distance after well that. she's like she's like so into just like everything about this exchange she's like interesting this guy has confidence going for him christ he's slick <laughs> yeah but but he's he's treating her like an adult He's he's smooth. She's you know not above being well, she's charmed. Immediately, uh, like a little bit girly here. She's like, "Hi," she says. Her voice sounds much chirpier than she likes it to be. So she adds, "What's in the bag that's so fucking valuable anyway?" Yeah, she asks me what's so bad about that. He says nothing. That it was all about image. That there's very few ways for a man like him to meet a young girl. It doesn't inspire the wrong meeting. Uh, so she asks, you know, why he wants to meet her. Does he want something? Does he have something he wants her to deliver? And Enzo and his boys all laugh at that. Uh, she gets uncomfortable with all the boys there. And then he gestures for them to leave. And it's just kind of this great moment where it's like, he doesn't have to say anything. His crew just, just knows. kind of like one glance and they all leave. Yeah. 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 So he mentions wanting to thank her for delivering the pizza a few weeks earlier. And they're teasing each other a little, especially as she asks if he's enjoying his time hanging out with the young mafia. <laughs> well, and th- this little bit where... Um... Yeah, she she says that it's Uncle Enzo gives her a look that says, watch it, child. A second after she gets scared, she starts laughing because it's put on. He's just giving her a hard time. He smiles, indicating it's okay for her to laugh. YT can't remember when she's been so involved in a conversation. Why can't all people be like Uncle Enzo? Like she's definitely like fascinated and like allured by this kind of power dynamic like this guy just does not treat her the same way as other people do yeah i guess you could argue she is just this side of like acknowledging a crush on him yeah and and she is you know she's 15 like she's naive in a lot of ways i i like that um even though like stevenson gives her these like fun badass moments and a lot of attitude she isn't like kind of ridiculously like perfect or anything you know she definitely like is going to make mistakes and have flaws you know because she's just a 15 year old girl yeah yeah uh, and also he's he's being charming and treating like her lady it's not I, I feel like the common dynamic of every other man she meets is she has to assume that they want to sleep with her mm-hmm. they see her as like a, a young flesh and he's not necessarily treating her that way uh, he tells her you know some things about her like that she's 15 she lives in a burp clave with her mother he refers to her career when he asks <laughs> what her mother knows of her career and YT appreciates that and finds it cute we get a little um, about YT's mother here YT's mom works for the feds and it kind of freaks her out because they make her like put this like blood crush pressure, like polygraph test thing on her arm all the time. And it like gives her bruises. Um, and she says, and the house is bugged. So when I'm home, no matter what I'm doing, somebody else is probably listening. And uncle says, well, I can certainly relate to that. And then they both laugh. <laughs> Which is just like, I don't know, weirdly perfect. Yeah. Um, who, who plays Uncle Enzo? In oh, gosh, I don't even know. I mean, Uncle Enzo... I mean, I when I close my eyes, I picture like basically like Duval from The Godfather, I guess, you know, okay. um, like okay. young Duval. But now, yeah, I don't, I don't know who has that quite je ne sais quoi. The first person that came to me, I don't know why, because they don't read as super Italian, but it was Oliver Platt. Hmm. I don't know if that's don't remotely know if right. He might be old, too old. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how... Uncle Enzo, he was in Vietnam. I, I'm, yeah. I, I get like like fifty at most from Uncle Enzo. I don't think he's that, that old, you know. So he's he what is he sixteen, seventeen in Nam? 
No, a little older than that, but he's he's probably like somewhere Doesn't between forty and fifty. Doesn't he give us his age later? When he, he might. When he we'll see. Yeah. Um, so he's had a question that he's always wanted to ask a courier ever since he's he sees them whenever they drive past his limo, which is why are they covered in head to toe and protective padding, but they don't wear helmets. And so she tells him that the suit that they wear has a cervical airbag that wraps around your head if you fall off the plank, so you basically can bounce on your head. And she mentions that the helmet is weird and affects your hearing. So he segues. Oh, she says they Vietnam. say it doesn't affect your hearing, but it does. And he's like, that's why. Well, that's why I suspected we felt the same way. I mean, the boys in my unit in Vietnam, and she's just like, oh, interesting. You know, um, <laughs> why did you go to Vietnam? He says, I thought it'd be safer than Brooklyn. But yeah, yeah. He, he drops that he volunteered to go. Uh, says that he went because his father didn't want him to go, and it would, it would piss him off. He says he did a lot of the things to try and piss off his dad. Dated black girls, grew his hair out, smoked pot. But volunteering for Vietnam did the trick. So he, he made sure to volunteer for special forces so he couldn't get some desk job stateside. So we know that he's got special forces experience. We'll see if that comes yeah. up later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he has this whole thing about how like he didn't like wearing helmets in, in the military either because it did something weird with his hearing. He felt like he needed his ears. Like that was like a sense he needed to survive. And he owes his survival in Nam to not wearing a helmet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she's wondering how he went from the young rebellious, his young rebellious time in his life to running the family business, which he consents. And he mentions that he, he wonders who will come after him. Um, so she, she mentions, uh, you know, you got plenty of young mafia types hanging around. He says, you don't respect these people very much, YT, because you're young and arrogant, but I don't respect them either because I'm old and wise. <laughs> and she's fairly shocked that he's saying this, but it just seems like such a reasonable statement coming from her reasonable pal, Uncle Enzo. Yeah. Like yeah. she's really just seeing this guy's like, wow, we're we're so much alike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so, and so then he says, um, I was gonna send you some roses, but you wouldn't be interested in that, would you? And she's like, Oh, I wouldn't mind sounding like pathetically weak to herself. And he says, Here's something better, since we were comrades in arms. Uh, he loosens his tie and collar, reaches down in his shirt, pulls out an amazingly cheap steel chain, a couple of stamped silver tags dangling from it. These are my old dog tags, he says, been carrying them around for years, just for the hell of it. I would be amused if you would wear them. Yeah, so she she puts them on her, uh, like on over her coverall, and he's like, no, 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 you should probably hide those. So she like tucks them into her coverall, and the line from the book is, she drops them down into the secret place between her breasts. They are still warm from Uncle Enzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he says, if you ever get into trouble, you show these dog tags, whoever it is, it's giving you a bad time, then things will probably change very quickly. And then he's, you know, like they're saying goodbye. And he says, take care of yourself. Be good to your mother. She loves you. He's in, he's out. It's Uncle, Uncle Enzo. Enzo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So does, chapter does the mafia do anything besides pizza delivery? I guess they kind of do from what we uh, gather in these next chapters here. Yeah. They're obviously got some fingers and some pies. I wonder, does he have like a bunch of these dog tags? Um, I, I, I have, I can't, I, I'm not sure, but I think I know a spoiler because it's been a long time since I read this. I think yeah. there's something in particular about this set of dog tags, but we'll, okay. we'll find out. Yeah. I've always wondered about the, uh, the, 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 the old fashioned player character in a movie who's like handing out his room key to girls. Yeah. And I always thought like, where's the scene in the movie where you check into the hotel and you're like, Hey, can I get 50 copies of that key? <laughs> it's a numbers game. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so chapter 22 outside the mafia franchise office. There's a guy waiting for YT. This is the, the glass eye guy. We still don't yeah. have a name for it. I just love how she's just like, he wants to give her a job and she's like, can't essentially dispatch. You have to go through the 800 number. And he says, geez, what kind of fucking dickhead do you think I am? <laughs> and he, she finally stops like, huh, okay, let me talk to this guy. He's got a, uh, he's got some, some great, just the, the, the character building of this guy. Like he's mm-hmm. like, he mentioned the point that she lies like a mattress. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like, what happened to your eye? And he's like, ice pick Bayonne 1985. Any other questions? She's like, sorry, man. I was just asking. <laughs> and he has this little like thing about like why why don't they go through the service he says we like to go person to person the old-fashioned way like on my mom's birthday i don't pick up the phone and dial 1-800 call mom i go there in person and i give her a kiss on the cheek okay now in this case we want you in particular well, the start of that paragraph though he's like no because i don't have my head totally up my asshole like you seem to assume <laughs> like the the sarcasm of this guy is so dry and perfect mm-hmm. Um, well, this guy definitely seems much different from the young mafia types. Like, yeah. it's always like this guy must be like pretty high in the organization. Like, this is the guy that Uncle Enzo can stand to be around. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and again, who would play this guy? I wonder. Yeah. Uh, 
So he, he nods to the gargoyle he's got there who does a thing and then her phone rings and the glass guy guy's like, fucking pick it up. So she just says what in the phone. So she's got a new delivery to make. So pick up a Griffith Park that she's supposed to deliver to a Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates franchise in Van Nuys. Mm-hmm. Um, so she asks why they can't just like take this shit there themselves. And he suggests because there's something that doesn't really belong to them. And the people at point A and point B might not be on the best of terms. So she thinks that means that, that they want her to steal something. And the guy, the guy with the glass eyes, like pained, wounded. No, 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 kid. Listen, we're the fucking mafia. We want to steal something. We already know how to do that. Okay. We don't need a 15 year old girl's help to get something stolen. What we are doing here is a move is a covert operation. And she's like a spy thing. Intel. Intel. <laughs> And Which so, excites her, of course. Yeah, yeah, so she's like, all right. And he's like, uh, that's all you want me to do is go pick this thing up? And he says, yeah, and then make the delivery. But uh, do us a favor and take the I-5, okay? And yeah. She's like, that's not the best way. She's like, do it anyway. Okay. Well, she's like, oh, so the whole the whole charm assault from Uncle Enzo is just like to win me over. And he's like, yeah, we pull out all the stops and went over a fucking 15-year-old girl. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so yeah, you know, she's like, that's not the best way to go on the I-5. So later, she's on the freeway having pooned an 18-wheeler. She's like thinking about how successful she is, and she'll have to farm out some of her business to her boyfriend, Roadkill. Well, it's a discussion of the Magic Hoover poon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it reminds YT of the way her life has you know, been since that fateful night of hero protagonist, pizza, the pizza adventure. So I think we get somewhere in here that it's like the next day after the Raisin, um, Raven situation from the last uh, episode. Uh, it definitely is in the hero chapter. I think I'm not it sure is here too. Here. I, I think okay. I highlighted it somewhere. Um, okay. but, but yeah, she's thinking about how she's like, oh, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm, I'm, she's like thinking like she's a maid woman now or something, you know, like I yeah. have so much work to do from the mafia. I'll farm some out to roadkill. And sometimes just to make important business arrangements, we'll have to check into a motel somewhere, which is exactly what real business people do. Lately, yeah. YT has been trying to teach roadkill how to give her a massage. Yeah. Um, so not taking the most, uh, you know, direct route to Griffith Park, by a long shot, uh, this is what the moth wants to do. Take the 405 all the way up to the valley, then approach from, the, from that direction, which is the direction, she, which is the direction she normally would come from. Yeah. They're so paranoid, so professional. Oh, she mentions that uh, she's going at the 405. LAX goes by on her left, and on her right, she gets a glimpse of the youth store at where that dweeb, her partner, is probably goggled into his computer. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, he wouldn't be at his computer. He'd be at uh, David's. Mm, maybe. I, he might still be there because that 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 chapter with him starts out at the story, but um, but but like a three a.m. This isn't three a.m. Is it three a.m.? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. We'll, it's, we'll that chapter starts three a.m. But yeah, we, get, so, we get some descriptions of Fedland here, um, yeah, where the the feds operate. So all the buildings in Fedland are big and ugly. Human beings mill around. They're plinths wearing wool clothing, the color of damp granite. They're scrawny and dark underneath the white majesty of the buildings. Uh, we see UCLA, which is now being run jointly by the Japanese and Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong and a few big American corporations. So it's interesting that uh, the feds do not run that college, even though it's a university. You know? Yeah. Uh, so she's thinking to herself that she'll have so much info about Uncle Enzo that her and Hero can like farm out and that, that she's like people pay millions. But she also doesn't want to kiss and tell with the mafia since they were nice to her. And there might actually be better career paths available there than with the CIC. Yeah, she could um, she could get paid millions for this information, and it's like, but she she feels the pangs of a conscience, you know, she can't, you know, like not because she's afraid of them, because they trust her, they're nice to her. Which might be very much why the mafia creates these personal connections of people first. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously a, a specific way of of running your organization, you know. They uh, obviously they uh, they do some bad things, but because you're only doing this direct personal connection with other people, I think you get a lot more loyalty and there's like a lot more like, like YT is experiencing herself now. Like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, these guys are nice to me. I don't want to screw them over. Right. Right. And if she sticks with them though, they got to give her a nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she's been, she's been lashed onto some taxi cab with an Arab passenger for a while. It says, um, and then she's looking over at the, the federal building where a bunch of feds, a walkie talkies and dark glasses and, and feds windbreakers lurk aiming long lenses into the windshields of the vehicles coming up Wilshire Boulevard. We learn about EBCOC, E-B-G-O-C, which stands for the Executive Branch General Operations Command, which is basically like like the Secret Service, Special Forces, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marshals, FBI. It's like everything's EBCOC, basically. Yeah, Yeah, so they all might claim some separate identity like Army, Navy, Air Force used to, but they're all under, they all 
come like like funnel into this. And they they claim the right to go anywhere, anytime within the original borders of the United States of America without a warrant or even a good excuse. But they only really really feel a home in Fedland. Yeah, yeah. Um, with their telephoto lens, shotgun microphone, or sniper rifle, the longer the better. Yeah, and then the end of this chapter here. I don't know. Should I read this paragraph? It's an interesting just description of like the, I don't know the mindset of the feds here. The super long one. Yeah. Yeah, you should. They say that in D.C., all the museums and the monuments have been concessioned out and turned into a tourist park that now generates about 10% of the government's revenue. The feds could run the concessions themselves and probably keep more of the gross, but that's not the point. It's a philosophical thing, a back-to-basics thing. Government should govern. It's not in the entertainment industry, is it? Leave entertaining to entry weirdos, people who majored in tap dancing. Feds aren't like that. Feds are serious people, poli-sci majors, student council presidents, debate club chairpersons, the kinds of people who have the grit to wear a dark wool suit and a tightly buttoned collar, even when the temperature is greenhoused up to 110 degrees and the humidity is thick enough to stall a jumbo jet. The kinds of people who feel most at home on the dark side of a one-way mirror. So that's what we learn about the feds. And, and kind of poetry to that. The, their philosophy of government, yeah. And talk about the temperature. It's hot today. Not 110 hot, but close. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So next chapter, she's headed to Griffith Park. Uh, Griffith Park seems like a major shithole. She says if you're driving into Griffith Park for some hijinks and you see a no outlet sign, you know that it's time to shift your dad's cord into reverse and drive it backward all the way back home, revving the engine way past the end of the tachometer. So, so no outlet signs, in case anyone doesn't know, just basically means that the road you're on is the only way into some place. It, it doesn't go like it's it doesn't you can't get out by keep going you know like it's going to stop eventually yeah 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 take that churchill Mm -hmm. you're going through hell keep going not not in this case so there's a new gang there the falabalas Mm -hmm. they have their own language and it sounds like babel Hmm, does that sound familiar yeah they're basically speaking glossolalia um yeah so she's scared there's a machine there's machine guns set up around there she's got a radix thing out trying to show them that she's legitimately there for a pickup uh, I like how she says it sounds like overkill to white tea, but then she's never been in conflict with the mafia either. So the mafia and these guys are in like open warfare, seemingly. Yeah, but it, it seems bizarre that they would be when we get the description of these people. To, uh, the whole canyon looks like an open air, air insane asylum or a Mooney festival, which I have not heard people refer to the Unification Church folks in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a couple dozen people are here. None of them have been taking care of themselves at all. They are all wearing the ragged remains of what used to be pre decent clothing. Half a dozen of them are kneeling on the pavement with their hands clenched tightly together, mumbling to unseen entities. Yeah, a bunch of them are singing a song called The Happy Wanderer. Uh, YT hasn't seen such childlike glee on anyone's face since the first time she let Roadkill take her clothes off. Uh, there's kind of a high priest guy she finds, and he's like, You heard pick up the suitcase, right? And she says, I'm here to pick up something. I don't know what it is. Um, so he's wearing a, a what used to be a white lab coat yeah so he pulls out an aluminum briefcase it looks exactly like the one that squeaky took out of the bmw last night so that was just last night that all the raven shit went down with the mm. uh the case of drugs that burned up and like self-destructed yeah so white so, white T's getting one of those now <laughs> so he answered that then then she kind of backs away from him and i like it he's just like i understand i understand i'm a scary creep <laughs> so he says there's no hurry he asked her to stay have a drink with them he says they actually just have kool-aid and she's like oh i would but my diabetes is acting up real bad uh, well then he's, he's like kind of giving her a little bit of a hard sale he's like well then you can just stay and be a guest of our community we have a lot of wonderful things to tell you about things could really change your life she says Do you have any even writings that they could take with me he says gee i'm afraid we don't why don't you just stay he seemed like a really nice person she says, sorry, Jack, you must have me confused. You must be confusing me with a bimbo. Thanks for the suitcase. I'm out of here. Or, I mean, she's like, she's like fucking like, like Sam Spade, Philip yeah. Marlowe for a moment here. Just like with some good, like dry, hardboiled dialogue. So on her uh, way out, she passes a young woman with a shaved head dressed in the dirty and haggard remains of a Chanel knockoff. As YT goes by her, she smiles vacantly, sticks out her hand and weighs high and says, blah, 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 whatever, you know, <laughs> yo, so so YT. Yeah. Uh, so a few minutes later, she's pooning her way up to I-5 into Valleyland. She has the happy wanderer stuck in her head. She's hitching a ride with an Acura, but then Jason the Iron Pumper pulls up beside her, confirming that it was him who like led her into Compton earlier. So he gestures for her to poon onto him, which I like she how does. he like, sticks his whole head out the window. Yeah. So is he just doing this out of like utter fear from Glass Eyes, like talking down? I assume that the Glass Eye told him, hey, you need to be waiting here 
when you see her go by, go drive after her and like give her, you know, like a, you know, a target to poon onto mm. and like bring her to us. Yeah. Uh, so he's seemingly taken to the right place, just like he did uh, Compton. He's they're headed for Van Nuys, but then he pulls into some ghost mall, which is wrong. He wants her to get into some 18 wheeler, probably for something unprofessional. She decides, but then glass eye shows up as well. And he wants her to get in a hurry. It, all uh, inside this big 18 wheeler. Yeah. Like in the cargo part. Yeah. Uh, from the book, uh, YT is supposed to be on her way to Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates franchise. If she screws up this delivery, that means she's double crossing God, who may or may not exist. In any case, who is capable of forgiveness? The mafia definitely exists and he used to a higher standard of obedience. <laughs> I love that. Hey, God forgives the mafia doesn't. Um, there is a line here about fucking glass eye guys, a little bit of perv. Uh, she's like, what do you want? He said, what I want, he says, looking her up and down and what I need are different things. Creed. Maybe. Maybe. I, I feel like this guy's a little inscrutable. I suppose so, but I don't know. I mean, it's easy to read that, but I, I mean, also... That's I definitely wonder. how YT is interpreting it, I guess. For yeah. sure, but I think I think that's the lens, and I, and I imagine with good reason, that's the lens that she views a lot of her inter- adult interactions. But yeah, she asked him his name, and he's just like, nah, people always forget names. I'd rather you just remember me as that one guy. <laughs> and then so, uh, Jason says, he's for real, as though YT must be hanging on his opinion. <laughs> so there's a long skinny room in there in the semi- that's now moving with a bunch of mafia guys and some electronics. Uh, Glass Eye wants to do some tests on her briefcase. So she can tell which guy is the computer guy because he has a ponytail and is wearing jeans and seems gentle. Yeah, so they're basically doing like, they say it's like a CAT scan or maybe it's like an MRI or something. They've, they've stuck it into this big MRI CAT scan looking machine and are like scanning this thing. They're, they're trying to figure out what's inside it basically without, you know, like non-invasively without making it self-destruct. So I guess what they did is they had her pull off on this little, you know, like, strip mall parking lot getting in inside the semi and then now they're back driving that way again so that it it will seem like she was you know on her way to deliver this thing the whole time yeah yeah uh i don't know if he's bullshitting or not but when she's asking questions about what is this thing this device what is it called and he's like we did we made it in the last few weeks and it's like okay uh well, he has a line he says you're asking too many questions look you're a cute kid i mean you're a hell of a chick you're a knockout but don't go thinking you're too important at this stage and YT thinks at this stage. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, chapter 24. We have a, a, a brief interlude with our buddy hero protagonist. Yeah. In reality. Th- yeah. Per the suggestions of his partner. I love how they're just like immediately like thinking of each other as partners. Like after their, yeah. their little arrangement there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting how little time they spend together so far. But they're, they're yeah, still very connected. Well, I mean, seemingly um, hero got fired as a pizza delivery guy and was like, hey, this skater chick told me to check out this band. I'll go be their manager. You know, like he doesn't yeah. seem like he has a ton going on. No, no. Um, I see. I, I have this just as I, as I do these chapters more and more as for this, these episodes, it's like, I'm just taking over more and more quotes. I have the whole opening quote here, our opening paragraph. Do we no, want go it? Go for it. Go for it. Uh, so heroes in his 20 by 30 at the U store. He is spending a little time in reality as per the suggestion of his partner. The door is open so that the ocean breezes and jet exhaust can blow through. All the furniture, the futons, the cargo pallet, the experimental cinder block furniture has been pushed up against the walls. He's holding a one meter long piece of a heavy rebar of a taper wrapped around the, and at one end to make a handle. The rebar approximates a katana, but it's very much heavier. He calls it a redneck katana. <laughs> so presumably his roommate is out getting super late. Sure. Yeah. And heroes, um, he's, he's training, you know, yeah, you got to see him training. How did he get that good at the sword? Yeah. Um, I, I get a description of kind of him, you know, and like his athletic skills as heroes, heart and lungs are well-developed. He's been blessed with an unusually quick reflexes. So we know he's got some good reflexes, but he's not intrinsically strong the way his father was. Even if he were intrinsically strong, working with a redneck katana would be difficult. Um, his, he is full of adrenaline. His nerves are shot. His mind is cluttered, cluttered up with free floating anxiety floating around in an ocean of generalized terror. So he's he's thinking about his encounter with Raven and, and thinking to himself, maybe I got real fucking lucky there and I need to yeah. like step up my like uh, training a little bit if I run into that guy again. Yeah, he's describing how the katana works, where if you swing a normal katana at someone's head and you don't stop yourself, the blade will just keep going until it basically hits the collarbone or whatever. And then it, you got your foot on the dead opponent's face trying to pull your sword free from their, their biomass. Yeah, while, um, while so, the buddy is like charging you, yeah. Yeah, so the trick is just to put in a little bit, fuck up the brain pan, and then go after your next target. So he's basically like really trying to work out his forearms, like how to like snap to a stop instead of just like swinging through. And yeah. so he's like, 
you know, theoretically, you know, his forearms are going to look like bundles of steel cables almost. Well, they will soon anyway. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the anxiety of the encounter of Raven the night before they got lucky if the blade basically slapping at the spear, uh, you know, at just the right moment, but not consciously. He didn't do it on. He didn't do it like consciously. He yeah. did it almost as instinct. And is that good or bad? So maybe that's how the great warriors do it carelessly, not racking their minds with the consequences. Maybe he's yeah. flattering himself. <laughs> so helicopter. I love how self aware Hero is in a way that YT is not. You know, like YT, like like Hero kind of doesn't buy any of the PR he spends for himself. Like he's aware that he's bullshitting. But like YT, like doesn't you know? She's younger. She doesn't have that. I mean, I think she's very curious as she's building and collecting her her skills for mm-hmm. for what her thing is going to be, and he's, I don't know, to a certain extent, kind of analyzing it, but like maybe other times, over analyzing the wrong parts. Like, am I an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so helicopter lands outside. We meet Major Clem from the military, who works for Juanita, and sent him to collect Hira because it's serious. Uh, so he asks for a few minutes because he's been working out. <laughs> He's like so next, he's like in his jockeys covered in sweat. Yeah. Yeah. So next door to the Usor is something called the rest stop, which you have to have an account at if you live in the storage units, which is so basically, basically the bathroom. bathroom. Yeah. yeah. For pay. Uh, there's like multiple like for pay levels, including the lavatory Grand Royale, which he splurges on. Oh, yeah. The, no uh, the Usor's ever used before. Yeah. You have our special limited facilities, which are thrifty but sanitary standard facilities, just like home, maybe just a little bit better. Prime facilities, a gracious place for the discriminating patron, and then the lavatory Grand Royale. No description yeah. of their necessary. So. Yeah, so no one at the U store has ever used it before, including Hero. It's only there because this place is across from LAX, and sometimes Singaporean CEOs need a place to go. Yeah, so he's so, like, what the fuck? When is going to hire me? Like, let me get the Grand Royale so I can go shit in luxury. Yeah, so it's a bathroom of a butler. Uh, he goes <laughs> and takes a shower. Um. After afterward, he'd like to take a dump, read some of those glossy phone book sized magazines next to the high tech shitter. But he's got to get going. He dries himself off of a fresh towel the size of a circus tent. He yanks on some loose drawstring slacks and a t shirt, throws some Kong bucks at the butler, and runs out, girding himself with the swords. Do you think they provide the clothes, or did he bring those with him? Good. I mean, it's a great question. How I would feel they like know? they would. You know, I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, yeah. it's the laboratory grand. Well, it's like it's like how they have those like um. Like, like somebody who's like super high up, like a CEO has like their own like executive washroom and like they they just have like shirts in there if they need yeah. a new shirt or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, presumably you're having, he'd be having his clothes washed mm-hmm. while showering and shitting, right? Yeah. Uh, all this, well, by the way, transpires apparently in five minutes. Um, so later, Heroes on the helicopter. It's a short flight because the pilot eschews comfort in favor of speed. Taking them uh, to uh, the Mercy, the roof of the Mercy Hospital. Which te- technically makes this Vatican airspace. Mm. So he's uh, instructed to go to the neurology world ward. Yeah. Where we find David there in the room. He's strapped down, hooked up the machines, hospital gown on him, but falling off. He's David's in a bad an, way. Yeah. He's hooked up to an EKG and has a massively irregular heartbeat. I love the, the worst thing is that his eyes don't always point in the same direction. Yeah. They found him at home on the floor, spasming of a crazy arrhythmia. He had a bruise on his ribs where his computer had clearly fallen on him. His heart was so fucked up that they had to implant a temporary pacemaker right there on his office floor, gave him anti-seizure meds, which did nothing, then put him on downers, which helped a little bit. And, and so Hero, yeah. mind working, is like, did he have goggles on? Yeah, he wants to know if he's wearing goggles. And they're like, I don't know, we can check. And he's like, but you think this was happening while he's goggled into his computer? And she's like, well, we don't know. Um, and there's a bit later where he's like, well, he's going to leave and go to David's house. He says, let me know when he comes out. And the doctor doesn't say anything to this for the first time. Hero realizes that David's condition may not be temporary. Yeah. And then David starts speaking in the, uh, the fall of all, uh, like babble. So yeah, he's speaking in glossolalia or speaking in tongues essentially mm-hmm. is what it is. Uh, uh, the helicopter takes him to David's house near the Hollywood Hills where more soldiers are already there having secured the area. Um, I just like that hero just gets himself. Either the uh, uh, God, what are they called? The enforcers, or he's got like now the army at his back. Yeah, it's like Admiral Jim's or whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, General Jim, yeah, General Jim, yeah. So this is um, like this castle that David has. It's like seemingly like right near the Hollywood sign, like up in the hills. There sounds like a pretty cool place. Um, Hero like goes inside. He goes to where David's office is, and he sees that like there's all this kind of like medical debris. And in the middle of all that is David's goggles, which either fell off when he hit the floor or were stripped off by the paramedics. He picks up the goggles, and as he brings them towards his eyes, he sees the image, a wall of black and white static, 
David's computer has snow crashed. He closes his eyes and drops the goggles. He can't get hurt by looking at a bid map, or can you? Yeah. Uh, and then he's just gonna like go like has some vibes on the the roof of the turret with a beer, man. I kind of like he just like goes up there to like think and ponder. You know, he grabs one of the beers, goes up to the top of this turret, and is just kind of like looking out at L.A. In other cities, you breathe industrial contaminants, but in L.A., you breathe amino acids. <laughs> yeah, I I really drank in the 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 pseudo cyberpunkness of it all when i first read this book you know mm-hmm. decades ago and i i never picked up on then how much cyberpunk is like clearly distilled through the filter of your your detective your your mm-hmm. old school detective story right. but this one especially like he's really peppering in more than a little bit the the la kind of raymond chandler-esque filter that's on this as well and yet it's not like um unrecognizable these he's ruminating about you know the franchise and virus work on the same principle and like like true american all that like we don't granted our our own society isn't quite what this is but it's not that far off you know no Uh, but like i said the the, you know the franchise and virus work on the same principles what thrives in one place will thrive in another you just have to find a sufficiently virulent business plan, condense it into a three-ring binder, its DNA, Xerox it, embed it in the fertile lining of a well-traveled highway, preferably one with a left turn lane. Uh, then the the growth will expand until it runs up against its property lines. So the way he kind of like distills us further down is that in olden times, you'd go down in the corner, eat the blue plate special and have a cup of Joe at mom's cafe. And things were fine if you never left your hometown. But if you went to, a next, to the next town over, everything was different. But then you had things like McDonald's, which come along and everywhere, everyone you go into feels like home. Yeah, he says, no surprises is the motto of the franchise ghetto. Uh, the yeah. people of America who live in the world's most surprising and terrible country take comfort in that motto. They have fled from the true America, uh, the America of atomic bombs, scalpings, hip hop, chaos theories, men overshoes, snake handlers, spree killers, spacewalks, buffalo jumps, drive-bys, cruise missiles, Sherman's march, gridlock, motorcycle gains, and bungee jumping. They have parallel parked their bimbo boxes and identical computer-designed Berkeley street patterns and secreted themselves in symmetrical sheetrock shitholes with vinyl floors and ill-fitting woodwork and no sidewalks, vast house farms out in the logo, Loglo wilderness, a culture medium for a medium culture. The only ones left in the city are street people feeding off the breeze, immigrants thrown out like shrapnel from the destruction of the Asian superpowers, young bohos, and the techno-media priesthood of Mr. Lee's greater Hong Kong, young smart people like David and Hero who take the risk of living in the city because they like the simulation and they know they can handle it. Which we I feel like start the fire. Yeah, yeah, that's not really that far from how a lot of people view living in the city these days, as opposed to the suburbs. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. All right, yeah. So I, that's why I, I always write at Starbucks because I always know I'll get the exact same hot chocolate. You know. Mm-hmm. And they'll always have the same Wi-Fi and the same chair, and you know that's like comfortable and yeah, no surprises. Yeah. Uh, to the point that you and I were on a road trip recently and uh, mm-hmm. a Starbucks that I've never been in before, just by being near it, my phone connected to the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. So they get you. Uh, yeah. Um, so chapter 25, we're back to YT. YT uh, must get underway now, she announces. Yeah. The mafia semi is stuck in traffic somewhere. So she decides that, you know, in third person, YT must get underway now. They don't fight her and toss her the aluminum case. They give her a plank back and glass eye gives her an envelope, which and suggests that it might be cash, though it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, she flies out the back of the door, lands on the hood of a Pontiac. I love this. Like the, the, the driver of the Pontiac can't really chase her because she's the only thing for miles that's actually capable of movement in this traffic. That's her market value. Yeah. So she's eventually going to go to Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates, number 1106. Um, yeah, I get this line about uh, Central American evangelicals who've come up north to get decent jobs and escape the relentlessly Catholic style of their homelands. Those are the kind of people you see at Reverend Wayne's. Reverend Wayne sounds low-key terrifying. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, even even without the uh, the red cap or the yeah, snow crash. <laughs> even without the snow crash. It, it, sounds, it's, it sounds like a Vegas church mm-hmm. on overdrive. Yeah. yeah Parking but, lots uh, half full, filled with bimbo boxes and license plates from all the burp claves. And on her way in, looking down, she sees that behind the franchise near the dumpster, the asphalt is strewn with small glass vials like the one Squeaky was looking at last night. So uh, the snow crash is getting around. It seems to be connected with the fall of Ballas and Reverend Wayne's pearly gates. 
Yeah. So she yeah. goes inside. There's a, a row of padded vinyl chairs where, where worshipers can wait for their number to be called. So just the idea of a church is like somewhere where you go and wait for your number to be called and you pay some money and you go in and there's just some sort of like ritual done to you, you know, like fast food religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's before she goes in though, she's kind of burning off her speed, doing a few laps around the place, looking at the chop shop next door, which is going to the strip mall. She says a dedicated thrasher could probably navigate from LA to New York by coasting from one parking lot into the next. Yes. Um, uh, she goes inside and she's like, basically like she can't, the, the, person at behind the counter is in the middle of the transaction and it says no three ring binder anywhere in the world allows you to flag or fail in the middle of the transaction. So yeah. stymied whitey sighs and crosses her arms to convey impatience and any other business establishment. She'd be raising hell and marching around behind the counters as she owned the place. This is a church. Damn it. Uh, there's a little, yeah. <laughs> the, but on the racks, we see the, the, uh, Reverend famous bestseller, how America was saved from the communism colon Elvis shot JFK. And I don't know if that's like true or a conspiracy theory or what. Like, is that true in this universe? But yeah, I I have to wonder if it's almost like uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what's the what's the the point of delineation in Watchmen. I think it's the fact that the comedian kills Woodward and Bernstein. So it's like a, f- like an, we have an alternate history thing. Like, yeah, I, like I kind of wonder. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is there like a specific moment in For All Mankind where it, where you you know the shift occurs? I mean, it's it's when the Russians beat the Americans to the moon. Yeah. Okay, okay, which is really like a series of events leading up to it. But okay, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. Not not to hype that show too much, but there's a cool moment in the second episode where the Russians are up there again on the moon, and like you know oh. they're on national TV, and they the astronaut lifts up the uh, like the you know the visor, whatever the sun visor, and it's a woman. And so like this like creates like a whole new paradigm for like the, uh, you know, women's rights movement in America. Because like, hey, why, why don't we have a woman on the moon? Yeah, I, I, I kind of like when any kind of uh, uh, franchise or, 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 or intellectual property can show so have, you know, their history that when they do their one off alternate history episode, mm-hmm. you know exactly the point that's being changed uh, of all shows. Star Trek Enterprise did a Mirror Universe episode where they did the moment from Star Trek First Contact where uh, James Cromwell shakes hands with the Vulcans for the first time. Mm-hmm. But in this thing, Cromwell pulls out a shotgun and blows this Vulcan away. They, and it's they, like, they have Cromwell or some other guy? It, they, they Archival footage. Okay, okay. But it's just like, boom, boom alternate history. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she she's in there. She pulls out the envelope with the man with the glass eyes stuck in her pocket. It's not thick enough or soft enough to contain a lot of cash, unfortunately. It has a dozen snapshots. All of them feature Uncle Enzo. He is on a broad, flat horseshoe driveway of a large house, larger than any house White has ever seen of her own two eyes. He's standing on a skateboard or falling off a skateboard or coasting slowly, arms splayed wildly out to the sides, chased by nervous security personnel. Piece of papers wrapped around the pictures. It says, YT, thanks for your help. As you can see from the pictures, I tried to train for this assignment, but it's going to take some practice. Your friend, Uncle Enzo, which has got to be a reaction to her question of, was he just being nice to me to get me to do the job, right? Yeah, I mean, it's he clearly went and like just goofed off on a skateboard and took some pictures. It's just kind of a, a joke for YT and also a way of saying like, hey, you know, like I, we're not just trying to use you, you know, yeah. or at least yeah. that's what the impression they want to give her. Yeah. So she's severely charmed by this, puts the pictures away, uh, watches the one behind the counter, providing the sacrament of taking the customer's visa and entering some numbers and getting your signature. Yeah, there's this whole description of the the ritual of getting her payment. And then the yeah. little machine beeps out its approval code. Heavenly tunes sing out from tinny speakers and a wide pair of pearlescent doors in the back of the room swing majestically open. Thank you for donation, the girl slur. It says slurring the words together into a single syllable. Yeah. The the transactee then goes inside the church, which is just an orgy of illuminated lights that are meant to mimic the effect of stained glass windows. And they feature the Holy Trinity of Jesus, Elvis, and the Reverend Wayne. I mean, this is not just religion. This is like a religion Americana. Yeah. And the woman goes down on her knees and starts speaking in tongues, uh, blah, 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 like all the yeah. other snow crash people do. And so YT is just like, hey, I'm here to fucking drop this thing off or what, you know? And so um, the the what's this guy's name this scene might be this scene might be the most funny in the whole book okay i'll go for it you take it then well so it's like the 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 woman gets up and like you know it's like hold on one second goes and knocks in the lavatory and we just hear a guy yell busy (laughs) and then she's like the courier's here i'll be right out he says more quietly (laughs) 
he comes out a moment later, no sign of washing his hands. <laughs> I don't know. It's Sm- hilarious to me. Smells of Old Spice plus a strong whiff of vomit on his breath. But it's not boozy vomit. He says, give yeah. me that. And he yanks the other briefcase right out of her hand. Whitey never lets people do this. And yeah. she's like, you got to sign. Is a, and he's like, this she is a can church sign. after all. Yeah. She says, it has to be him personally. Reverend Dale T. Thorpe. Uh, now she's done being shocked and starting to be pissed. She, so she just follows him right into his office. This guy just like, he just like grabs a briefcase and like walks away into his office. And they try to stop her, and she's like, "No, fuck that! I'm going back there." This guy's like, it's like he's a junkie, you know. He's like, mm-hmm. he's seems to be leashed to this briefcase because he's like got like a little like key card type thing that's hanging on a lantern around his neck that he's like stuck into the briefcase. He does some typing on it, a little like two finger typing, and then there's some the motors and servers inside the aluminum case were in shutter. The Reverend Dale T. Thorpe has unsnapped one of the little vials from its place in the LED, in the in the lid and inserted it into a socket next to the keyboard. It is slowly drawn inside the machine. The vial pops back out. The red plastic cap is emitting a grainy red light. It has a little LEDs built into it, and they're spelling out numbers, counting down seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Uh, the Reverend Dale T. Thorpe holds the vial up to his left nostril. When the LED counter gets down to zero, it hisses like air coming out of a tire valve. At the same time, he inhales deeply, sucking it all into his lungs. Then he shoots the vial expertly into the wastebasket. Yeah. So the the dishwater blonde from behind the counter comes in wanting her fix as well. And we, we yeah, do mine now, please. Yeah. The Reverend Dale T. Thorpe does not answer. He has slumped back in his leather swivel chair and is staring up at a neon frame blow up of Elvis in his army days holding a rifle. So, yeah, this whole scene is like incredibly creepy. Like it's yeah. this weird like McDonald's franchise of a church. And the people there are clearly like junkies for the snow crash. They're just like, oh, you had the drugs. Thank God. Like immediately, like they like do whatever, you know, thing they need to do on the little computer inside the laptop uh, to get their drugs and they get their hit and they yeah. just zonk out. So Red Cap, that form of snow crash is a high. Presumably it will not kill you. I'll, I'll say that uh, or decapa- we will incapacitate you firm, like firmly. We will get a lot of explanations to that in the next section of chapters. Yeah. And chapters, uh, 2630 we get some ex- explanations and uh some more of the librarian <laughs> mm. prepare for some info dumps about glossolalia the language of the angels is this a big one you, you like like widthwise like lengthwise yeah like widthwise um i haven't gotten through the whole thing because i fell asleep reading it but okay. uh, yeah it's it's an info dump for sure okay cool all right but yeah that is it for this episode of the pod that was chapters 20 through 25 we'll do 26 through 30 things are picking up about to get some major info dumps um mm-hmm. enjoying myself so far for sure it's been a long time since i read this book so it's fun to remember just the i don't know neil Stevenson, he's he's definitely having a lot of fun especially early in his career his humor is a little more um uh, overt i guess i would say like it yeah. becomes more dry and like kind of like tongue-in-cheek later but he's having a lot of fun here you can see where he's going but he's still very very mm-hmm. young here but yeah it's definitely been long enough that i want to say in an earlier episode i asked you do we ever see david and where he is <laughs> yeah david's not looking so good man no he's not no he's not um all right cool until next time later